0: Hi, this is ScriptLock where we talk about storytelling in video games. I am Max Folkman. And I'm Nick Folkman. Today we're going to talk to Walt Williams and Mary Kenny. Walt is a writer and creative director at New Game Plus and has worked on games such as The Darkness, Bioshock 1 and 2, Spec Ops The Line, and Star Wars Battlefront 2. And he's also the author of the book Significant Zero, Heroes, Villains, and the Fight for Art and Soul in Games. Mary currently writes Insomniac Games and has also written for Certain Affinity, Techland on Dying Light 2, and Telltale on the final season of The Walking Dead and Batman The Enemy Within. Thank you both for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mary, how did you break into the industry?
1: So uh, I was a journalist first. I, I came out of college. You know, I, in college, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I'm from the Midwest, so we try to be practical. And I was like, I can't just go be a creative writer. That's not a real thing. So so I became a journalist. Um, I was a crime and sports reporter and eventually became a magazine editor. And my career was going pretty well, and I think that was a good indicator that it wasn't the right one, because I wasn't happy. It was going well, and I didn't like it. Um, so I applied to NYU's Game Center for their master's program in game design and got in. And so the same year I got in, I also started writing for Kotaku, and I got my first game writing contract with a small indie Spanish studio. And I was at... NYU for a year and then uh, Telltale had a program at GDC where you could apply to be in this workshop and then work with their writers on becoming a better game writer and you would bring your own Twine game and they would give you feedback and it was just a really good program and uh, so I went and I did this workshop with all the Telltale writers and they were like, we like you, you're great, let's uh, let's make this more official so uh, me and another person in that workshop became interns that summer and then uh, we stayed on full time, they convinced us both to leave grad school and and stay at Telltale, uh. So, start at Telltale. I was there for about a year and a half. Um, and then you might have heard it abruptly closed. And, what? Uh, well, I know, I know, breaking news. Um, but uh, then I was a freelancer for uh, about five or six months, uh, working on Dying Light Two and working with Certain Affinity, and got the job at Insomniac, which I started in February.
0: Has your journalism background been helpful at all for game writing?
1: It really has uh, because what I did as a journalist was in-depth features. So talking to people about their lives and, and trying to kind of craft it into a coherent narrative. And I find that I do that a lot with video games too is, hey, we have a design – problem could you craft it into coherent narrative and uh yeah so they they do feed into each other pretty well and both disciplines are very 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 collaborative so i think that has helped a lot
0: you have to do a lot of research too
1: Yes, I read a lot. So <laughs> I have to.
0: Has that been, like, really helpful more for game writing, too, just for performing research?
1: hmm Yeah, I mean, res- doing good research um, that's relevant and knowing when to stop going down the rabbit hole of research is good, because, you know, I have a deadline. Um, yeah. That, that that has been very helpful, for sure.
0: And, Walt, I know you've answered this so many times now in different interviews, but how did you break into the industry?
2: <laughs> um, well, uh, I kind of fell backwards into it. Uh. To go back a little further, in college, um, I, I was uh, paying through college with, a, with an Air Force scholarship with the intent of uh, commissioning into the Air Force. Um, and so, during that time, I was just kind of exploring whatever I wanted to do. I've, growing up, I was always writing stories. I, I enjoyed writing. I, in college, I fell into kind of a secret society at the school that put, put out a, a satirical newspaper, kind of like a Harvard Lampoon kind of a thing um but a bit sillier um and through that kind of got uh mixed up with a bunch of uh theater people playwrights uh i started to explore some i was really enjoying writing so i started exploring more writing in my free time screenwriting and things like that and as i was getting ready to graduate uh, i got medically discharged from the air force so suddenly i didn't really have any career options what i'd been expecting to do was just poof gone um so I was like, I'll this writing thing seems to be going well and uh I enjoy it a lot and I'm gonna do this, which is by the way a great phone call to have with your parents is to call them up <laughs> and be like, So hey, um you know that job I was gonna have? I don't have it anymore, but it's gonna be fine, I'm gonna be a writer. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> they were so enthusiastic. Um so I um moved down to Austin trying to figure out what i was going to do for a little bit um and r- was getting a little bit into the austin film writing scene and uh uh the person i was with a relationship at the time uh wanted to go up to new york uh to get her master's degree and so i, I followed with her uh being up there i know that marvel and dc were up there uh, dc comics and growing up i'd read their stuff voraciously and i was like i want to write comic books if i'm up in new york maybe i can do this um and So I was like, yeah, we'll go up there. It'll be great. I'll I'll make this writing thing work. And it just, it didn't. Nothing was happening. I couldn't get any interviews or I just, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was doing. And I ran into a guy at a bar in New York who had gone to the same college I did, uh, which Baylor University, by the way, 10 years prior and had lived with a bunch of guys who had been editors on, of the newspaper that I had been an editor for. And he was like, hey, well, what do you do? I'm like, I don't do anything. Uh, I'm desperately looking for anything to pay bills. I don't want to starve to death. Uh, and he's like, well, hey, I'm the hiring manager for take two interactive. Uh, and we've just kind of opened up a new publishing, uh, wing of the company called two K and we're, we've got a bunch of entry level positions open. So why don't you send me a resume and maybe there will be something that fits. Um, and I was like, sure, why not? Yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do that. So I sent, I did, didn't rearhand anything for a few weeks. Uh, I remember I was, uh, at, A temp agency taking a test uh, to see what kind of hourly uh, rate I could get uh, if I went to do temp work for them. And as I was wrapping it up, I got a text from him saying, hey, you got an interview. Do you want it? Come on. And so, I went in for an interview for this position called Game Analyst, which um, isn't really... It it sounds like it's QA, but it's more of a uh, production assistant. Um, It's not really a term that they use anymore because they eventually realized this doesn't really carry over to other companies because uh, it sounds like it means something very different. Uh, but it would it was like a creative production assistant. I, w- I would be playing the games and providing feedback. like if something was broken, I'd be like, hey guys this is broken. but mainly I w- it was creative feedback. How did I how does this stand up against uh, competitive titles? What is? what are some things that we could do to better uh, fulfill the vision that the developer is going for? Uh, that kind of stuff while also taking screenshots, running demos, all these kind of things. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, I could totally do this job until my writing career takes off. Because, you know, still, you know, pie in the sky, uh, silver lining thing. Uh, and I got in and they realized, hey, you know, this guy's got a lot of, uh, he really understands narrative. He really under- understands writing. He understands screenwriting. Um, and we're already paying him much less than we would pay an external writer. Uh, so why don't we let him uh, help with narrative on the projects that he's working on? And I just kind of worked uh, my way up through there, and now it's been dear God, fifteen years. <laughs> wow, uh, and yeah, and now I just keep
0: doing it. What kept you going when you kept getting blocked or stopped from getting paid to write or getting
2: to write for someone? Is that like it was for a while? uh, so honestly, it was at most two months, oh really yeah, I, uh, I we moved up to New York. I had uh, two thousand dollars in my bank account from working a part time job at a mall. Uh, in Austin, we had a three-month sublease of a room in someone else's apartment, and by the start of the third month, I had um got this job, uh with 2K. It was looking back on it, shockingly fast. At the time, I was like, "Yes, this makes sense. This is how the world works." Of course. Um, <laughs> and now I look back and I'm like, "Oh my god, I was so close to disaster. Everything could have gone so bad so quickly." But I mean, it was desperation, knowing that I had to make something work. I, I didn't have a chance. Uh, I didn't have the luxury of getting dejected. It's just like, okay, well, this one didn't happen. Next one, next one, next one. Cause I didn't want to starve, but worse, I didn't want to move back home. I was up <laughs> in New York. I mean, that that's, that's a whole different type of failure. When you move somewhere to try and start a new life um, and have to, you don't want to slink back with your tail between your legs and so and 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 uh you know my girlfriend fiance at the time you know she she was up there for grad school so she definitely wasn't going anywhere um i just i had to make it work i didn't it never at the time it never occurred to me that i would eventually possibly hit a wall where i couldn't get anything to happen which is why i was looking at you know temple i was going to take any job that i could yeah uh, i remember even seeing um and i cringe when i think about this now but i just Kind of gotten out of the being in the Air Force. So it made sense at the time. I remember seeing recruitment uh, signs for the next class at the New York Police uh, Department uh, Academy. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could do that. I do know how to stand still and get yelled at. I'm pretty good at that. I can probably pull that (laughs) off. I don't know if I'll make it all the way through to be a cop, but I mean, it's a job. Um. So standing you know,
1: still and getting yelled at—that's great for game writers. We I was just gonna say too.
2: it. <laughs> <awesome>. It is <laughs> it is a skill that has really carried on for fifteen years. Uh, it's it applies everywhere <laughs> so, so yeah, good at it. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. I, I was too. I was. I always say I was too young, naive, and dumb to realize how uh, m- much I had no idea what I was doing, and how impossible it was. Uh, so. I just kept charging forward until eventually, very luckily, uh, something actually happened. Thank goodness. Do you remember
0: what your uh, starting rate was as um, a
2: writer? Well,
0: so... As a temp two, slash writer?
2: Well, that's the thing. I, I went straight to being salaried uh, at 2K. Really? Yeah. Because they, they, they brought me on. That was, that was, that was their smart move. They're like, well, this guy, we've got to have him salaried at an <laughs> entry level rate. Uh yeah, let's get some more out of him. <laughs> stuff that would cost much more from a contract writer. Um, but I think I was making. I think my starting salary was thirty-two thousand, maybe. And this is keep in mind this is two thousand five, um, two thousand four, two thousand five, um, and I may be off on that number, but it, it was in that general area with four hundred one k health benefits stuff too. You know things that uh were great to have. That's sure. even great today.
1: I, I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fair. It's, it's still low, but that's like for today, that's still like, I
1: just don't think the number has moved. I think it's the same number yeah, yeah. today still like around 30, based 000. on talking to students. I'm like, yeah, uh, for is sure. it and great? No, but it's the same.
2: <laughs> and when it's the first number anyone has ever offered you above like, you know, a below minimum wage job, you're just like, that's so much money. Yes. So it's, it's like that
0: scene in Big when. Tom Hanks gets the paycheck and he goes like, $187? And they're like, yeah, they're really screwed. He's like, oh my God.
1: That's my first year as a game writer, for sure. I'm like, whoa, I have a dentist? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> just very exciting.
0: <laughs> I can go buy stuff and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> um, so the creative analyst job you described, Walt, that still sounds really useful, like giving that kind of creative feedback. Is that is there a different job that still does that kind of role or is that just more... like team members
2: doing that now i think it's just production assistant i think is what i know i think that's what 2k eventually started calling it uh by the end of my time at the company was just production assistant or creative assistant um it's all right this industry is weird everyone has (laughs) different uh job titles at companies and even the ones where we have the same job titles they mean different things like you know, I've been I've been doing writing and narrative design for fifteen years and I still am not entirely sure what a narrative designer is every time I go to work for a different company because everyone has a different definition of it and it's it's wild. I don't know how any of us jump <laughs> from one company company to another. I think it's because we all we all already do so many other jobs outside of what our job description is that when we go somewhere else, we're just like, I mean, yeah, I do that. That that wasn't really covered in the description of what I did or my title, but yeah, I do that stuff too. I know how to do that. Um, like, Have you ever
1: written this? And you're like, well, yeah. Was that is that a job duty? Is that that's not just yeah. something I do on the side? Okay.
2: Yeah. So uh, I was actually. It's funny. I had an interview uh, for a project just a couple of days ago, and they asked if I could do something. And my my initial response was I said yes, and then I immediately followed up with, but it depends on what it is you're asking for. Exactly. <laughs> and they were like that's an interesting way to answer that question. I was like I mean that's welcome to games. Uh, it's like, also a sensible over. question. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I feel like there's also a uh, narrative QA now, which I love. There's there's Ooh. a whole kind of subset of QA so they're, you know, playing the game and logging what they see and they're very thorough. And there are some QA people who are focused on narrative and they're like, hey, you had this dangling plot thread and it doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, crap. No, you're totally right. So and just script
0: coordinators or editors? That? Yeah. Like this. yeah. Well,
1: and, and typically, um, you know, I've worked in a few studios now that have this and they're not proposing solutions they're just which is actually nice as a writer because i can kind of figure out the solution um but they are saying hey you know you forgot to wrap up this thing or i noticed this thing was weird and sometimes you wave bugs like that like it's oh this character's getting really mad i don't think they'd be that mad and i'm like no no no! no, i promised they would let's just polish it a little bit so it's more realistic but um that role i think Is really useful and really similar to what you were doing while in the, it's, um, you know, it's less, uh, they, they don't typically write, but at least they're commenting on, on the narrative, which, you know, my take on that is always, if they don't do it now, then someone will do it once the game's out. So I'd rather just get all those notes, uh, even the ones I don't necessarily agree with. I'd rather get all of that now and take into consideration than the game comes out and now we have all this press and i'm like oh i never did resolve that plot thread so yeah no know.
2: that's nice i like that yeah
0: uh, we talked about collaborators briefly or collaboration earlier but for both of you who are your most important collaborators
1: everybody that be- <laughs> that feels like a cop-out but i really uh my day-to-day some of it is sitting at my desk and writing uh but so much of it isn't it's running around the studio talking to other people uh, because, you know, every single part of a game has narrative utility. The the mechanics we're using at any given time, the environment design, the level design, how the characters are dressed, all of that, all of that plays into the narrative. So, so much of what I do is talking to other departments about, you know, well, this character needs a scarf and this character needs a, you know, and, and, and uh, everybody is a storyteller, so I've gotten some of the best ideas on on what to do with characters and levels from environment artists and from character artists, and um, certainly uh, the, the people I work with the most are designers, um, and it's nice because we can both use things in our own toolbox to help each other, so I say, like, hey, the main character is really stressed right now what can we do to make the player feel stressed and they're like here's this list of mechanics that will stress them out and i'm like awesome <laughs> so you know we can kind of work together on that um you know without having to demand that they understand exactly what the narrative arc is it's just hey these are things i need and here's how the vo is going to help but it's not going to do all of the heavy lifting because this is a this is gameplay and we you know we need the gameplay to support the narrative uh so designers are who i spend most of my time with but really everybody on the team is so crucial or they wouldn't be there. And uh, talking to all of them about what we're going for and and how it's going to work and what the end product is going to be is a big, big part of my job. Good answer. (laughs) Thanks.
2: That's a very good answer. Mine is very (laughs) similar but slightly different. Um, As a contractor, uh, I have a little bit more of of, an outsider role whenever I come onto a team. That doesn't necessarily uh, make things uh, combative in any way, but it's allowed me to work with a bunch of different teams um, over the years. And my most important collaborators are really, I mean, to put it bluntly and honestly, uh, are the people who are willing to collaborate. Because you do find, at least I've found, uh, you know, you do come up against certain people on a team who see that writing exists solely to explain whatever their idea is it exists to patch over the holes that they have created in a design or 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 a cinema or an art it's just hey here's this problem we've created uh we're, we can't fix it on our end so you have to fix it with VO. this is your job now you have to fix it uh, you know, I've you, I've sat in meetings with designers where they'll be running us through a level, and we'll say, "Hey, hold up, wait, wait, hold up this this doesn't make sense. How did it go from A to B?" and and they look at us and go, "That's your job." And it's like, well, okay, yes, but also in your head when you created this, how did you get it from A to B? Like, what was your intent of taking it from A and B? from a to b uh you know how do you see it you know i can i can dramatize and i can uh contextualize what you're thinking but if you weren't thinking anything other than a is cool and b is cool like you're not giving me much to work with as to how to connect these dots so for me that can be very frustrating uh and i and i feel like every writer has come into contact uh with this at some point it's not necessarily widespread but it's there And so, I mean, just anyone who's actually willing to collaborate because it is, it's a a give and a take uh, on all sides um, where everyone's feeding into the same thing and building off of each other. That's when things get really special. That's when you end up with something that that feels like a single cohesive vision and and you can feel all the love and the work that goes into it instead of just uh, thing happens and then thing happens (laughs) and then thing happens and you won.
1: Totally. And I feel like there's a shift. Slowly but surely, um, to there are some people in the industry who see it as writing comes in to add VO when we've made everything else. And you're like, What? <laughs> what am I how am I supposed to explain this? Uh but the shift that is positive is bringing writers in during pre-production, which, you know, if you know anything about film, pre-production is crucial. You spend so much time in pre-pro and uh game games are a lot different, but just having writers there in the room with your lead designers with your creative directors saying you know this is how all of this should connect and really being able to build mechanics centered on the characters you're playing to have is i think where we get really fundamentally different and more powerful stories like you know god of war and and like some of the stuff that's come out recently where the mechanics are informing the story so you know i know i I push a lot for you need writers in your pre-production and that's like my soapbox for the rest of my life. So,
0: Or just at the very least you need to give writers time because like writing is rewriting and most game especially for game writing like the first draft is never gonna be good. But we've been on projects where like they only had time in the calendar for a first draft which was insane
1: it's very painful to watch your first draft ship, <laughs> for sure. I've done that too, and I'm like, "Wow, that sure is a first draft," <laughs> and that's that's always rough. <laughs> yeah,
0: the hiring writers as a band aid should shouldn't happen. Like objectively, shouldn't happen. But there are good ways to do it and bad ways. Mm-hmm. Like when we were hired by Double Fine to do Master Chalice, they had they'd worked out for a year already after it was kickstarted, and they had the premise, there's the enemies, and here's an ending. And it's like that we were hired to like, all right, justify all this. Oh, and wow. also, why is, why is oh. there a chalice? Which thankfully, like they were like good with like, there were those pillars there, but like they were willing to work and stuff around. But we definitely been on products where it's like, we have this problem here, fix this or just massage it as much as you can, even though it's gonna Like it's never going to be feel good or feel like it was, you could tell something is there that you're like, it doesn't feel like it's, um, the pacing is right or. It's hiding something that was supposed to be there. Are there any Band-Aids for both of you that you could talk about? Or I totally understand if you cannot. Otherwise, I'll skip this question.
2: Well, I mean, one that I can think of that I can definitely talk about. Like, I remember back on Spec Ops, uh, we there was a big shift in the narrative in the last year or so um, from it being a more straightforward military shooter to being having more of a, you could say i hate to use the word supernatural but cer- certainly uh abnormal twist to the narrative of what's happening and we had already we already had a lot of uh cut that were most basically finalized um and the dialogue that was happening is something that just wasn't working with the new with the new uh story direction um but we also couldn't go back to square one on these cutscenes. so I, mean, I just came up with the idea of like i mean these are i was like guys these actors are all professional vo artists um, let's just put them in a booth, put the old cutscene scene up in front of them on a screen and, uh, ha- you know, we'll write a new line that is as close in length and rhythm to <laughs> the old line. And let's just have them, uh, you know, do ADR for the cinematic. So they're saying this new line to match, uh, the, the movement of the lips that they're seeing on the screen. And it worked out great. Because this is before we'd gotten into a lot of like facial motion capture, it was all you know. Ha- so like, uh, you know, the mouths were all handmade at any hand animated anyway. Uh, so there wasn't a, uh, a direct one to one with the original words and the uh, and the li- and the original and the facial animation. So we were able to pull it off and it worked great. Problem solved. Hooray! And I always think back on that like, man, yeah, just putting the faith in my actors to be the experts at, you know, this thing that they make a lot of money doing and just letting them do it, trusting them to do it. Because that's something that also like I find a lot of in games is that, uh, we forget that our actors are, you know, they really are the experts at this kind of stuff and like just putting your faith in them to like know how to do their job and that they, they, a lot of them do this for multiple different types of mediums, not just for video games. Uh, uh, that you can get a lot out of them by just letting them run with it. Yeah, trusting people in
0: general, I think,
2: yeah. everyone can
0: do more of.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not easy, but it is good. Yeah, my first, uh, the first game I was hired, my first writing contract on a game I said was an a indie Spanish studio, and that role was intended to be a Band-Aid and then became not a Band-Aid uh, because – so they the creative director had basically written all of one storyline. It was a text-based adventure. And uh, there were going to be three storylines. He had written one, and he's like, we need side quests. Everything feels like fluff. We need to bring a writer in who can make it not feel like fluff. So I came in, and, you know, I'm plucky and 25 and eager to please, and and I uh, I was like, well – well, you know, gee, we could just restructure this whole thing and it sure would be great. And to his eternal credit, he didn't like say, Okay, your contract's over. He was, you know, he listened and we made adjustments and I ended up writing the other two main storylines and I wrote a bunch of side quests and we did do some restructuring in that first uh main storyline. So it was intended to be a band-aid and then I like broke all the bones <laughs> and then and then we got something that we were all really proud of. You know, it was an indie game, it didn't it went the way of many indie games where we loved it, the people who played it loved it, but not a lot of people played it. So, Uh um, you know, that old story.
0: (laughs) It is, like, way, as opposed to movies or TV, where, like, you're writing the script before production, generally. It's harder to, when you're writing a game, you realize, oh, this isn't working. You can't, usually you can't throw it out, because everyone's already working on that thing. Yeah, And you (laughs) studio cannot afford to throw everything that they just did out. You have to just... Make do with all you have and reconfigure it.
1: Right, right. That's so true. Yeah, I mean I couldn't so that game was set in like uh Vikings, Nordic, sixth century. So I couldn't have come in and said, actually, I think this should be H of Rome. Like that would <laughs> that would not have flown with anybody. But saying, hey, we can keep all of this all this great environment art and all these characters, we just need to tweak them and we just need to change some things was a lot easier. And it's a lot easier in a text-based game, because I'm like I don't care about cutting all the words. Like, yeah. as long, you know, there's no voice acting, there's no animation, and that's that's a huge, you know, that that changes things a lot for sure.
0: We've heard. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Wallace. You sound like you were gonna say something.
2: Yeah. No, I was like, a lot of times when I've come into productions, I found that like the big uh, when they're when they're needing specific help with the narrative at because they've gotten down a certain path and they're they feel kind of lost with the narrative. What I've noticed a lot of times is that the studio has they've built up with the the world and their art and their mechanics and their and their game design level design they've built up one narrative and then with the story they've tried to do something that is uh, counterintuitive to the rest of the narrative in their game uh, or that directly contradicts it and it's not working and they don't necessarily have uh the narrative or the story insight to be able to to make that connection and a lot of times just coming in and like pointing showing sitting them down and showing them well this is the this is the story that your game and the gameplay is actually telling so like we can fix this and we can make it better if we lean into what you've already created with your design because you do you were telling a story here and then but it's just very different from the story that you've written and which is why the two of these things aren't working together very well uh, because, you know, Mary, you said earlier, everyone, especially in games, everyone's a storyteller. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, like I've seen a lot of t- teams, they forget that, that they are, but by being a storyteller, they're creating uh, c- unconsciously and subconsciously these narratives that they're not fully connecting to the actual writing and the dialogue and the VO and the events that are happening. And just uh, helping them merge those two, even at a later date. In a lot of ways, it's almost kind of like putting a puzzle together. I kind of enjoy it um, if, you know, given enough time to actually fix things.
0: Do you uh, find that you... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you, have, uh, do you find that in these situations when the stews, like, want you to help fix a story that you'll point out that, like, you need to do some structural work here. Are they committed to doing
2: that or do they just go, well, we could do half of that? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, the thing that... I, the <laughs> it all boils down to something one of my first bosses told me, which he gave me the direction of fix it, but change nothing. Fix everything, change nothing. <laughs> um, which is kind of the situation with every, uh, I think, game project. Because every, everyone's afraid to suddenly undertake a change because every change has a domino effect in some way. So I think, I think everyone is hardwired, even writers, we're all hardwired to initially take feedback with uh, by saying, nope, can't do it, impossible. <laughs> um, and then, you know, after a meeting's over and you've actually had time to digest and think about it, look at things, you go, okay, well, maybe we can do some of these things. Maybe we can do this. And you start to 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 see how it would break down and you can actually begin to make some changes and do some things. Um, so yeah, initially there's always a bit of hesitation, but for the most part, they're willing to make the changes that they can. And it's, a, and it's really, and that's the thing about writing games that I think is so, it's a, it's a lesson that we as game writers learn very quickly, which is that no matter how much time and effort you've put into something, you're probably going to just have to throw it all out and do it again <laughs> for some arbitrary reason. And we do it all the time. We are, we are hardwired to just trash our work constantly <laughs> and do it over for any reason.
1: I know so, my, my yeah. method of taking notes is to get angry and rail for about twenty minutes and then I throw out everything. So yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. I hear that. <laughs>
2: exactly. Uh me too. That is that is my like I get angry and now I'm I'm at that level. I've been doing this for so many years. I'm just like, okay, this is our angry phase. We know when this is over <laughs> what we have to do. Mm-hmm. This is just part of the creative process. And having friends and loved ones in our lives uh, who are aware okay, they're just this is just the twenty minute rant, okay. Oop. Yep. Yes, no, I know, it's very unfair, it's very unfair, are you done now? Good, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they
1: don't Uh, see your vision, they just don't, I get
2: it. Uh, So yeah, like, uh, finding that common ground of what, uh, basically realizing what they are able to do, and then throwing out our initial fix that we jump to, and going, okay, how can my fix meet uh, their fix in the middle, and we can actually find something that that hopefully solves everyone's problems. Um, Yeah. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I Bye. think
1: one, one of the most important lessons, and I, I mean, I still have to, I, I say I've learned this lesson. I'm really wise now. But the truth is I have to remind myself constantly is we're all there to make the best product we can. And because I, I always have that angry face. Every time I get notes, I'm like, Duh, everything is garbage. I'm garbage. You're garbage. You know, it's it's a whole crisis for about 20 minutes. But really trying to reset and trust my collaborators and go, they're just trying to make this really good. I'm just trying to make this really good. We're all trying to make this really good. And I mean, that's, you know, that's easier with some collaborators than others, because for some people it's true. And, you know, of course I've, I've had contracts where it was a little more, no, it's my vision, you know, but um, luckily I've been pretty lucky in my career that um, most of the people I worked with are not, are not like that. We're just trying to make the best thing we can. And actually Another thing I've learned that's kind of tied to that is the writing that I end up having to edit the most and that I regret the most is uh, when I take someone's note without looking for the note behind the note. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, a lot of uh, editors and writers, we go to school for it. We learn how to read scripts. We learn how to give feedback, et cetera, et cetera. But some of the people giving you notes – didn't or <laughs> or have never done it before um, which you know it's fine it's a skill that people have to learn so someone will will come in and say hey actually I want you to do this and the writing that I that I regret the most is when I just want okay I will do that instead of, going back to them and saying, well, why do you want me to do that instead? What's the actual note here? So like, you know, it it would be like, I want her to be sad in the scene, not angry. So I make her sad in the scene, it makes no sense, it ships, and it's terrible. Instead of saying, well, why is it not working for you? What's the actual problem? And the actual problem ended up being the ramp wasn't good enough, it doesn't feel like a good enough character turn. And that's something we can solve in a different way. So... Not not necessarily just pushing back on notes, but just trying to understand notes and be more collaborative is something that I mean I'm still trying to get better at, but it's definitely helped a lot versus just jumping in and saying, "All right, that's your fix. That's what we're doing. Fine, I don't want to worry about it. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm done."
0: And for like people who aren't good at taking or giving notes, it's just, it basically boils down just talking to the team members more.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's always interesting listening to game writers talk about what they appreciate in certain games because oftentimes it's something that general audiences might not appreciate. So, are there any games that do something interesting with their storytelling or just do really well that you think might go unnoticed by players?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd say unnoticed, but it's definitely something I have more appreciation for now than I than I would have before I was a game writer. So, Hellblade, which is one of my favorite games in the last few years and apparently everybody's because the hellblade 2 trailer just dropped everyone went oh my god it's so cool but uh hellblade send you a sacrifice i adored that the puzzle setups um tied into the character and her trauma and her everything she was working through and to me that shows such great collaboration in pre-production of, uh, you know, the, the fact that the puzzle and level design are tying into a character and story beat means that those two departments, or I think in this case, one person, but I don't quote me on that. Uh, we're working together and we're thinking about all these things. Uh, so that's something I wouldn't have appreciated before because I didn't understand how hard it is to get all the departments to talk to each other and yeah. and to be pulling the same cart. And now I'm like, Oh my God, they talk to each other. <laughs> it's amazing. That's my biggie.
2: I think for me, the thing that I, that I always I see in a game that makes me go, oh, wow, that I think most gamers probably take for granted is when a AAA game has a slow or quiet or a down moment. And I'm just like, wow, especially if it's in a cinematic, like that someone is using valuable uh cinema budget time to have a scene where a character just like digests a moment emotionally that isn't uh exposition moving the plot forward or a major action beat or a big spectacle but just a moment where characters kind of sit in what's happening every time because it's so rare uh, on the projects that I've worked on that you have that luxury to be able to take a moment, whether it's in a mission or, or or especially in a cinema, and just have your characters kind of absorb and deal with the things around them or just emotionally reflect physically on what's going on. Um, you know, we, it, in a lot of the projects, and I don't know if this is the same for you, Mary, but in so many of my projects, like I have to fight for every single second of of <laughs> cinema that I, that I'm going to get. Uh, And try to use that to the absolute utmost best uh, of my ability to get the most out of it, both for the story, uh, but also for us uh, on the writing team of like, you know, how can we use this to really further things and do something that couldn't be done in game or that maybe people haven't seen before or that would really, uh, you know, hit the player in the chest emotionally. Um, I think people yeah, I've been take
1: nodding it. oh I'm so sorry yeah. keep going so sorry. <laughs> sorry I've been yeah. nodding along with you so yes I do agree I'm like that yes yeah
2: you know sure. like gamers I feel like gamers take uh, that that for granted um, so yeah and then I every time I see it I'm just like oh, oh I'm so jealous right now uh,
0: <laughs> You would think gamers would love it because they love long games because they hate buying short games for sixty
2: dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's it's, ne- it's not the, it's never on the gamer. It's always on. It's always on the budget. It's always on the team. What can, you know, yeah. like uh, figuring out you know what's our cinematic pipeline. What's this? 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 Is this? You know, there we have this. The thing that I always like come up against is. We as designers and game developers, we we know what we like. We know the moments and things in games that affected us and inspired us. And like we want to pay tribute to these things. We want to make things like them. But when we start thinking about our audience, we tend to not give them the same benefit of the doubt that, oh, well, I mean... You know, I I can't tell how many designers I've heard talk about things from Half-Life and like, oh, it just starts and you're just in a train and then you're just like picking up trash and you're in a line and then you start, well, what's the opening of our game? Well, look, if they're not shooting something within like 30 seconds, gamers are just going to turn off. Really, dude? Like, (laughs) that- Have you ever turned off a game within 15 (laughs) seconds? (laughs) Like, they're not, well, what are they going to know if they're, well, I mean, they bought it, man. I mean, they kind of figured, I figure they know what they're in for. They know that it's probably, the shooting's going to start eventually because they paid the money for it. So they're, they're in there. They know the boom is coming. So like, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they can give us a couple minutes to, I don't know, set it up. Yeah. Anything. But you do, you bump into this wall, uh, so many times. And, and it's because we, you know, we tried to, in some ways we, um, we don't fully uh trust the audience but also i think we have a certain aspect where it kind of expresses our own uh personal feelings and opinions about design and what we expect in games you get a lot of people who are like the player is not going to blah 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 and what they're really saying is i like it this way and i want it this way and i'm going to say that all other players are like me so i can win this argument whether they're doing that consciously or subconsciously we fall back on the uh, on the argument of well the player because it's just ultimately, it's, it's what I want in the game. It's what I think the game needs to be. There I feel is. like
1: that's why playtesting is so, so important. Cause, you know, we spend all these, all these round tables about like, well, what will the player feel? What will they think? And then we bring in a dozen playtesters and we're like, oh, we were wrong. All of us were extremely wrong. And, and, and that's why I like, uh, you know, choosing your playtesters and making sure you have a, a pretty diverse audience of people from different backgrounds, but also different play styles is so important um, with regular yeah. play testing. And it's important for writers too. Cause like, I, I think we kind of know that as far as game design, like we have to know that they can get through puzzles. We have to know that they know how to punch or shoot or whatever the mechanic is, but writers don't always get to ask the play testers, Hey, do you understand what's going on? Do you know this character's name? Do you know that do you understand? Like, and it's not that they have to know every single detail because I, I don't know about you guys, but when I watch movies, I miss yeah. Yeah. so much. <laughs> I never know anybody's name. And it's like, I don't care. She's crying and I'm sad. That's all I care about. Uh, it's
0: like by the end of the game, you should know.
1: Yeah, yeah. By the end of the game, like, you know, if they're like your pivotal antagonist, you should probably know their name. Yeah. <laughs> you should yeah. probably know why they were the antagonist. And it's stuff like that that I find so useful is when playtesters – come in and they say wait I don't really get why Why is my character doing this and I'm like oh oh no <laughs> we should probably tell you <laughs> that, you know so it's very it, helpful
2: and it's funny because you you don't you don't know and you can't control like what information that someone is going to pick up but also like how they're going to digest it which is something that I think is very different with interactive entertainment versus like a film or a book because they can, they can uh, when, when, when I've done focus tests in the past like I've, I've had players walk away with feeling that they have a very clear understanding of everything they just played and and they repeat it back to you. And it is totally wrong. <laughs> but but they are they are satisfied and they're not confused. And they're and you're just like, OK, well, I mean, I guess that's a win. You got like I remember we we're doing uh, some focus tests for Bioshock, too. And I was sitting down talking to a guy uh, before he played. And I was like, have you ever played Bioshock one? He's like, oh, it's one of my favorite games. I've played it through so many times. Uh, and I was like, "Can you tell me the story about Shock One?" He's like, "Yes. You play as Andrew Ryan, and you are searching through the city for your daughter named Rapture." And I'm like, oh. Whoa. And he just <laughs> oh, keeps no. going, and I'm just like, "No, okay, sure, man, cool." Like, I didn't even know how to. I was like, "But he, he was, he was 100 confident. There was a story. Didn't feel confused. It didn't contradict the game that he played. Like yep. those two things, they just they matched." And I was like, "Man, okay, cool. I don't." know how i'm gonna take your feedback on this game you're about to play uh but i mean so long as you feel like you understood it i, I mean there there's a certain victory in that that yeah. if if they can if they still feel if they walk away feeling like they got it even if it's 100 percent wrong i mean they don't know let them live their life yeah exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that came up i think in your gdc talk well that you were talking about uh not constantly punishing the player for their choices. I think you were talking about uh, silent judgments. Yes. And uh, and and that really stuck with me because I come from Telltale, where we're like eternal punishment. Like you know, you, you have to punish people for all their choices. And uh, but you know, hearing that, I'm like, there are things that the player doesn't have to get, and that's okay. And just kind of letting the game shut up and let the, letting the player just figure out their own stuff. And do they feel guilty about it? Do they feel happy about it? That was so like, you know, galaxy brain moment for me where I'm like, we can just let people judge themselves and that's okay. Because that's the part of their brain they're using when they're reading novels and watching movies and watching TV anyway. So why don't we, why don't we just back off a little bit and let them think sometimes as I think one of my favorite things from your GDC talk oh, for oh. sure
2: thank you i appreciate that um yeah yeah. i mean well it's one of those things where i think we were working on it and it just kind of occurred to me i was like um yeah i mean i'm I'm judging myself all the time constantly for every little (laughs) thing that i do everyone's doing that right (laughs) like we're all already doing it uh i like the the first gdc talk i ever went to was a panel discussion uh like maybe my second or third year in the industry and it was I don't remember everyone was on it, but Ken Levine and and Peter Molyneux were both on it and they were talking about morality in games. And I had always assumed, uh, we were working on Bioshock at the time, and I'd always assumed everyone was kind of like me, like, you go the bad path because that's just the most fun one and it's a video game (laughs) and none of this is real. And Peter Molyneux brought it up. He's like, yeah, you know, I also would have thought the exact same thing, but we've been you know, working on the Fable series. We found that 75, 80% of the people start good, stay good the whole time. 10% 10% of people or so start bad and feel guilty about it and switch to good and only like 10% of people are actually bad for the whole time and I was like man yeah. I was like shit <laughs> first off shit I feel like a terrible person because that's what I did <laughs> when I played Fable 1 uh when I play the Fable series I alternate I like this game I'll be bad Fable 2 I'll be good and then I'll be bad again um but like the, the idea that people it was that that revelation that like some people try to play bad and feel guilty about it I was like oh yeah of course we all bring our own personal hang-ups into these things like we do with everything else in our lives we can totally just exploit the player being <laughs> themselves <laughs> we can yeah. use their hang-ups to our advantage and we don't even have to do it we can just let it sit yeah. they'll do the work for us um, and it turned out that worked out really well with spec ops <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny you say that because that was still true. So, you know, we still track players choices when I was at telltale and yeah, it was nice players. They're most of them. Most of them are really nice. They don't want any characters to yell at them. They don't <laughs> want, they they don't want anybody to be mad ever. And I'm like, I'm ready on the walking dead. Like someone's going to get mad at you. This yeah. is not going to go well. <laughs> but, uh. We worked so hard, so quick shout out to uh, Lauren Mee, who was the lead writer of episode three on the season I was on. She's now at Insomniac. She's great, and she worked so hard. There's a choice at the end of that episode, spoilers, to (laughs) kill a character. And we were like, oh my god, 90% of players are going to say, no, I don't want to kill anybody. No, I'm nice, blah, blah, blah. And so Lauren and, you know, I helped a little bit, and our season leads helped. How do we get that to 50-50? How do we get 50% of players to really just want her dead? And, uh, and want to be the one to do it. And we got the numbers back after it came out and it was like 75% killed her. And we were like, oh shit. Like, which is good, but, but it was, you know, it took a lot of work to be like, What do we have to put in the player's head to make you overcome your niceness and your fear of people yelling at you? And in our, in this case, it was I feel like I have to protect people. I feel really angry. I'm really furious about this thing that happened to my friends and kind of letting people go with their gut versus overthinking everything. That was I felt like the most successful telltale choices were I'm going with my emotions. My emotions are riding high, and that's what I'm going to do, not – Hey, the game is telling you that you're gonna get like a slightly better gun if you do this. <laughs> like, and, yeah. you know, it's less mechanical and more emotional.
2: That's what I've always liked about the Telltale games too, is that they are they're set up in such a way to to play into that emotional space that you bring with you, and how and like how it builds over the course of episode to episode. Like when I remember when I played the first Walking Dead game. Uh, and I, I think I talked about it with uh, Sean and some of the writers uh, a couple of years later, and they were asking me questions about the choices that I made. Like, I think it was the the first one they asked about was when you're trapped in a cooler with the uh, the woman and her dad, and like the yeah. dad is sick, and you're like, oh, he might change, and they're like, well, what did you do? I was like, well, like I was like, I bashed his head in with a with an air conditioning unit or whatever, and they're like, well, why did you do that? I was like, I mean, was well, like I've I've made a. I made a promise to take care of the kid. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know them. Like, My it kid's sucks. here. This
1: guy's toast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <what are> you...
2: <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry that's your dad, but, like, you're not the person that I've made a, a major moral obligation to. Like, I got to keep All this right. kid safe so sorry. And then I think in like episode four, when I'm terrible with names, the mustache guy, mustache guy, baseball cap. What's his name?
1: Penny. I know <laughs> his name. Cause it's my last name. It's S- uh, easy. <laughs> when,
2: when his son's about to turn, they're like, what did you do? I was like, well, I shot his kid obviously. And everyone was like, why would you shoot a kid? I'm like, because you don't make your friend shoot their own kid.
1: Oh, I'm yeah. with you. I did that, too. That's it's the like right You take voice. that bullet
2: <laughs> figuratively for them. You yeah. don't make your friend live with having to shoot their kid in the face. That's what you do as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, they, the felt, they, they felt was a very <laughs> extreme response. Yeah. But I was like, I'm just trying to be a good friend. Like, that's, you know, I'll live with it. Sh- shit, I hope they would do the same for me. Please yeah. shoot my child <laughs> before he kills us all. Uh um, oh, so many poll quotes. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that. This <laughs> is a wild episode.
1: <laughs> episode title. <laughs> shoot. shoot my child? We shoot my child? How uh, to be a good friend. Shoot your child. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> oh, God.
0: <laughs> I didn't want to backtrack like 10 minutes when we were talking about uh, what information players retain and like how they got to the end. Like, oh, they didn't know this or they completely misconstrued what the story was about. <laughs> and I forgot who talked about this, but someone talked about how they... They give exposition three times to the player just to make sure that you retain, especially in like uh, large open world games. Because, mm. and this is what I always always think of in this situation is when we played Half Life Two and you first get into Alex's workshop. And this is a game where like you just got blown away by physics being in a game. And so we go into this workshop and there's so much stuff on all the tables. So you're just like jumping on all the tables, knocking shit over. And like as Alex is talking about your mission and what you're supposed to do. And like I don't remember what Alex said because I was looking at. Like knocking cans off this table and throwing <laughs> shit at her and whatever. And it's like, yeah, games are different. Like you have to keep telling the player stuff just in case they don't they don't listen to you the first time because they probably won't, because you are always gonna be the person who's just like jumping off stuff in the background trying to break your game or doing some <laughs> bad shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's that's a moment too where ugh, the more your goals can be emotion oriented and not plot stuff <laughs> like it's like i am angry at this character so i am going to go find this character and confront them that is an emotion that the player is not going to forget but it's like well i have to find him because the secret evil syndicate and then the bit and, and it's just it, like it becomes what i affectionately refer to as plot crap where it's like no one actually cares they're just the game is telling you you have to do this because reasons, and
0: which gets exacerbated But when like they shut up the game off, come back a week later, like, wait, what am I? Why am I finding this thing again? Yeah,
1: yeah, a million percent. And it's like, I mean, you still need things like menus and you know journals and stuff saying where was what was I doing? I've played this for a month, uh, but but the more it can be, I care about things, so I have to do something obvious. Um, You know, I think that that can help you with that a lot. Instead of there's something really convoluted you have to do, and if you were knocking pans off a table, you will never understand it. Yeah, (laughs) it's not great.
2: Yeah, on the last project that I worked on, um, that was like I we we had that problem a lot where we would have the comprehension just wasn't getting there. And after going back a few drafts, was just like, look, we need to create a very simple thing, like just a pattern we need to follow where we can have these little moments of conversation. But the last line of the conversation is just going to need to be a character saying and it's going to the same character who always gives you the objective now just needs to just state the objective Mm -hmm. in a way that sounds like it's a natural part of the conversation that just happened instead of like having it all build up with everyone a little piece here, a little piece here. It's like, okay, they can talk, they can talk, they can talk and it leads to cool. This is the person that so like players we hear that voice. That's the voice that tells me what the objective is. And they're just uh, they're telling me, oh, I need to go blow up the thing in front of me there. Cool. Got it. Like so like playing with like the different tools that you have and how you're going to utilize them across the game to like kind of subconsciously train the player to know exactly when they're being told something they should retain was something we finally fell upon in like the last couple months of the project. I was like, oh that and it made a huge difference. Because you you that's the constant battle with game writing is wanting to to be a writer and realizing that it, you also have to be a teacher with <laughs> what you're writing. Um,
1: that's very true, and that was part of the uh, art of writing choices at Telltale because we had, you know, it was called the feeder line before the dialogue wheel comes up. So the feeder is what you're actually responding to, uh, but then we also had idle lines that would play like while that timer's ticking down because otherwise the conversation just stops and it feels extremely unnatural. So we would write idle lines for the character to basically keep talking while you're deciding. So it felt a little better. Um, But the problem is you couldn't have your idle lines either change the meaning of your feeder line or contradict the feeder line or add a judgment to the feeder line. And that was really, really tricky because it both had to feel natural and not change anything. And the feeder line had to be so carefully constructed that people knew exactly what they were responding to and or had a really good idea even if they didn't know what the outcome was they had to understand what they were being asked to do or to comment on and that you know it, it, that's exactly it you both had to be a writer and a teacher <laughs> and uh, you know this is as clear as it can possibly be um, so clarity 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 always for game writers
0: I just realized that I could separate uh, collaborators into teachers versus lecturers. (laughs) Whereas like Mm. someone who's actually doing it back and forth where someone just like, no, you're just gonna, I'm telling you what you need to do. Right. Don't talk to me. (laughs) Oh gosh. (gasps) It's a one way street versus a two way street. Yeah.
1: Your favorite college professor versus the worst college professor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Walt, you gave a talk at GC several years ago titled, We Are Not Heroes, Contextualizing Violence Through Narrative, where you talked about working on spec ops and you ended the talk by saying, I would like to see less violent games out there, not because I think that they're bad or wrong, but because I think that creatively they're too easy.
2: Do you still feel that way? And Mary, would you agree or disagree? Yes, I do still feel that way. Um, but I mean, to be fair, I guess I, well, that was 2013. So it was about six years ago. Um, yeah. in a lot of ways, uh, with the quote unquote indie space, I put quotes around that because what is indie and what isn't these days is, mm. uh, Really up for grabs, but that's expanded so much in those past six years. There really is a lot more stuff out there that's not violence focused. So, but uh, definitely in the AAA space, like violence is—it's your main way of interacting with the world. It's the main way of uh, sometimes the only way of uh, overcoming conflict, and it is—it it is very easy both conceptually uh, and narratively. It's just there's someone in opposition of your goal, and you just are going to. Convince them that they are wrong by shooting them until they stop moving and then they're not a problem anymore. That's uh, that is the absolute it, it's the easiest way of of conflict resolution is to simply wipe out anyone who has created conflict for you and not actually uh, understand where the conflicts coming from or attempt to resolve it in any other peaceful way or even necessarily uh, by outthinking them in a nonviolent way. It's just it's direct to the point and it's over um there's nothing wrong with it though like i'm i i I tend to be very critical of violent games but i always try to but i don't think there's anything wrong with it either like it's simply another genre it's another uh, type of entertainment um i think i always get a little i always bristle a little at it because i feel like uh due to production values and um and budgets We tend to see AAA as uh, the peak of the industry. It's the most forward-facing part of our industry, especially to people who who aren't as connected into games as we all are. Um, But really, in a lot of ways, AAA games are they're the summer blockbusters. They're not, you know, it's not the uh, the period pieces. It's not the Oscar bait. A lot of the time, Um, it's it's the Michael Bay movies. It's the Marvel films, and there's nothing wrong with those either. I mean, I love all that stuff. Uh, I'm an ardent defender of Michael Bay, uh, no matter how wild or insane his films can be, because it's you know, there's a certain level of of true uh, craft in being able to make spectacle on that scale that whether or not it's uh, you know, mindless or whatever, like you know that's subjective. but technically the the man is is uh, is a very talented director in how he can craft a two hour film that leaves you physically exhausted. Because he wants to make sure that every minute of that movie you are as fully stimulated as possible, he gives you 100% of your money's worth as far as like visual stimulation going on, um, and there's you know there's something respectable about that because he knows exactly what his product is, and he tries to give it to you every time. That's kind of a roundabout answer, and I've trailed off into talking about Michael Bay now. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't even remember what I, what I was saying before I got to Michael Bay. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, I do think it's easy and I do still agree with it. But I've, there's so many more options out there now that whether or not I agree with it, I think doesn't really matter because you don't necessarily have to. I think I've maybe played two or three games this whole year that have had violence uh, as a chief mechanic because my options are just vast at this point it's great i love it i'm super happy um so yeah
1: yeah for me it just boils down to character and struggle and i just think that your mechanics should reveal something about your character and should be um you know the the reason that you have to play this game in the way that you're playing it now is because it reveals the story and the character that we're trying to get across so I have, I have nothing against using violent mechanics in games. Um, I don't think it's always the answer for the story you're trying to tell. And typically the way to annoy me is if the narrative is trying to say one thing, like, Oh, this is a really honorable person that give And then all of the mechanics are bellying that. And, and that's that, that's when I tend to get annoyed. Not, um, you know, not just, Oh, he's violent. Like, you know, sometimes that is the story and that, that's what that's what the story is meant to tell and that's this character. So I'd like to see going forward more and more again this is my plug yet again to have writers in your pre-production that the the main character, the player character or multiple if that's what you have, all of their mechanics are about who that person is and the arc that they're about to go on. That's all I really want out of it and I think we are seeing that in the space. I mean, uh, you know, Disco Elysium just won every category it was nominated for at the game awards. And I think there's a good reason for that, that those mechanics are brilliant and are all about character. And, uh, you know, obviously they worked so, so hard to make that work and, and it was beautifully done. And that's what I'd love to see more of from all games, you know, whether they're quote unquote indie or triple a, um, it's just character and mechanics can go together.
2: Absolutely. I, and I, I think you're 100% right, Mary. Like that's the thing that we always say about people in the real world is like, you know, you're defined by your actions. And in video games, so often that's not true. Like actions are, we don't see action as what is defining the character they, that, that what they are doing as the chief game mechanic isn't saying necessarily something about them, because especially in the AAA space, we're seeing it as them is you, you're the player. And well, since you're the player, you, you're the good guy. You're the person, you know, this is all about you, buddy. You're fine. Have fun. Don't feel bad. (laughs) Don't think about what you're doing. We just want (laughs) you to have a good time and know that we like you. Speaking
0: of a good time, uh, Mary, you recently tweeted, "Unpopular writing take: (laughs) Don't give your characters more story than they can handle. Not every character needs tragic backstory, trauma, death."
1: With six P's. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes adding those things weakens their narrative utility. Can you go into this more, and would you agree with this, Walt?
1: Yeah, totally. So um, everything in your game has narrative utility. The environments, the character assets, the the music, the, everything is helping to tell your story or hurting you trying to tell the story. That is true of every single element in your game. Characters are a huge part of that. And when you're looking at your overall macro, You know, how much, how much story can you actually tell about each character is really important. So I, I actually was just talking about this, um, about Ocean's Eleven, weirdly enough, because it's a great movie. It is a great movie. Um, but you don't w- suddenly want Brad Pitt launching into his dramatic backstory of I lost my children and my wife has got, like, who cares? It he likes to eat. Matter. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it, it, it just doesn't matter. And it's it's taking away from your main story. The narrative can't support it. It's setting up all these threads that would never have gotten paid off. So when you're looking at every character and how you build them, It has to tie back into what are the themes we're trying to address? What are the struggles we're going to put in front of these characters? What do they have to overcome? And there needs to be a reason for everything. You can't just drop in (laughs) a bunch of details that will never matter, will hurt comprehension, will make it much less clear what you're trying to do. So it's just start with something really simple and then add complexity as needed is is how I tend to approach writing and writing characters. Um and I understand the impulse to go the other direction. You know, I was a fanfic writer too. I wanted I wanted to give all these characters um all this backstory that the main narrative didn't have time to give them, but there's a reason that they didn't have all these things that the main narrative couldn't support. So think about the narrative utility of all your characters. Um, understand that there are some details that are just Never gonna come out that you know, like, you know, you're, you're, but I can
0: still inform the writing, You just yeah. never expose it. Yeah, you're surface. like,
1: I know that this character is allergic to peanuts and it never comes up and nobody ever talks about it, but you know, maybe she has one throwaway line in her 4,000 lines that's like, I hate peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's just not trying to encumber your characters with more story than they can support. And a lot of that is how often are they showing up? How much screen time do they get? Are they in your ear constantly or do they just come in for two scenes and then they leave? You, um, and then one of my big pet peeves in some video game writing is when every other character is fascinating and the protagonist is boring and i'm like why do all these characters have such cool interesting stories that i'll never have time to hear about and my protagonist has diddly squat like has has absolutely nothing to talk about and no tragic backstory trauma depth with six p's like why uh you know so it's also trying to make sure that all of the characters support each other. And if it's a game like most games where all these other characters are listening to me, making sure there is a reason, like I have some authority or some, you know, something that there's a reason for them to care what I think about. So yeah, that's kind of my long winded answer. But um, in summary, it's just your story is going to be a certain length people are not going to absorb everything you throw at them. So just try to make sure that everything you're giving to a character has some sort of narrative use that is going, you're going to have time to uh, bring up and discuss and resolve an arc. That's
2: I it. agree with this extremely, strongly, <laughs> very strongly, so strongly. Uh, I, I, lo- I saw that tweet the other day and I instantly was just like, I, I wanted to respond. I was like, wait, no, we're going to be talking in a day. I was, <laughs> wait, I was um, uh, yeah, I mean, I in video games, uh, especially I think when it comes, we see backstory kind of like lore and there's a default uh, mindset of the more of it that there is, the better. It is the better our story is. The more you know, the more you can connect and relate and empathize, (laughs) right? He has a sister. You have a sister too, right? You know what it's like to have sisters. Now you are him. Amazing. Um, (laughs) And it's, and, and what I, anytime I'm in a meeting, I'm trying to get this across to like other people on the team. Like what I always fall back to is like, it's, it's nothing like that. It's more like right here at work. Like think about someone here at at the office who you feel like you have a connection to, who you feel like you really like. Now think about how much you actually know about them how much they actually tell you about their life, uh, what they do outside of the, like, it's it's almost nothing. Things come up uh, when it's relevant, and if things come up when it's not relevant, it's actually a little awkward, and you don't really know how to respond to it, and you're like, I don't know why you're telling me this. We're at work. <laughs> um, it's, and it, always, like, what is the important thing for the characters in the moment, or, or just the, the entire story that you're experiencing them in. Like, um, I go, you know, in Spec Ops is something I I uh, I go back to a lot on this because, like, you don't know anything about these characters' lives. You don't know if they're married. You don't know if they have kids. Um, you don't know if uh, if they're friends outside of this job. Like, some of them have the The only connections or anything that happens outside of the video game uh, that you know about is that the main character and uh, and the villain Conrad and Walker uh met each other once before and that's the only thing that is ever mentioned that is happening outside of the events of the story there's no one else that ever gets mentioned or any other relationship or connection or event that ever ever gets talked about because it's because it's not what's happening in the game it's not the immediate thing and i I think it's one of the reasons that the uh, the story works so well and is able and so many people understood what we were trying to do with it is because it is hyper-focused on just the game. Uh, Everything is feeding into what they're experiencing and how they're reacting to that. They're not falling back on, well, I mean, guys, I mean, this. let me tell you about the time my daughter you know got cancer and uh it made me really sad and you know now i'm seeing dead kids here and it makes me really sad too but it's extra sad because it reminds me of my dead daughter sad it's sadder <laughs> than you're sad yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly so it, it like it's just no like what we're dealing with right now in this in this moment in this game is drum it is enough And to just simply having your characters live in it and exist in it and respond to it. And if something comes up that really is relevant to the past, okay, they can bring it up. That's fine. But yeah, like always connecting it to like, how do I like trying to think, how do I interact with people normally? And like the information that I give them that they give me and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and I'm an overshare. So like I always, (laughs) and and that's how I do my first drafts way too much saying, wait, everyone's talking way too much. And I, and I hand them off. I'm like, look, I know this is like 75 pages longer than it's supposed to be. Don't worry. I'm aware. We're going to fix that. We're going to get to that. But I just need to know if everything else is fine. Don't worry. Um, yeah, like going back to like natural, uh, that kind of natural level of interaction with people, um, which, you know, I, I, not a lot of games get because we do. We think the more, the better, especially in the AAA space, the more, the better.
1: Yeah. Um, And uh, your office example is so good because I think the thing I have to repeat a lot is backstory is not personality. mm
2: -hmm. It's like
1: I have no idea. You know, one of my coworkers, I have no idea what their hometown is, who their parents are. Did they go to Catholic school? I don't know. But I know that when they enter a room, they fill that room up because they are gregarious and they are, you know, they are the person that you look to as soon as they enter a room. That's that's character. That's personality. And that's going to come up in my cinematics Catholic school probably not (laughs) Um, you know and that's 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 really important and when you're sketching out and building characters it's so much more important to understand how they're going to react to the story you're telling than how they reacted to things in their past Um, and you really have to trust your story to be dramatic enough like that's you just said that too well it's it's just like trust your story to have the conflict you need without like also let me bring up this thing that happened 25 years ago (laughs) it's It's why I have probably unfairly um a pretty deep bias against flashbacks, but I, <laughs> but I don't like them. I'm like we don't need it. what's happening right now needs to be enough needs to be dramatic enough and emotional enough to matter and you know there's there's a lot of trust that goes into that for sure,
2: and I fight that flashback battle all the time and i don't, <laughs> I don't even know like I don't even know how to win it because you're just like guys, I know uh. I know it's common. That doesn't mean yeah. it's good. And that doesn't mean it's necessary. We don't, it's, we can just let it, we just let it happen here yeah. in the present. That's, you know, that's, that's dramatic. That's, that's, yeah. that's how drama works. Yeah. Of course, like, obviously any device yeah. can be done well. And right. you're, but I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like it is something that, that gets that gets that we fall back on as a crutch of like okay well now we really need to like make sure that they understand exactly like it's just over explaining right. uh yeah. it, it isn't always necessary uh yeah
0: it is it's usually just a band-aid to that you yeah. haven't done the work to support build a good foundation for something yes let's do found let's do a flashback or just put in vo just explicitly
1: saying what the character's thinking oh man saying <sighs> Saying what the character's feeling, so instead just, of so just letting it, just letting people feel things. Like, just, mm, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I bet the environment can support us here. I bet the music can support us Or the here. animation. I don't, I don't, yeah, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know about y'all, but I typically don't say to my husband, wow, I sure do regret the thing I just said. Like, it's <laughs> <that's> not typical. <laughs> so.
0: And the other thing about, like, not spelling everything out of, like, the mm-hmm. characters or the world's backstory or, or describing everything is, like, Having those gaps lets the player be more active in the story because then they're figuring that stuff out for themselves and it becomes more unique to them.
1: Yeah. What, what you were saying, Walt, like, oh, he has a sister, I have a sister, now I relate. Oh my God. I think you get the opposite effect if you overexplain because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, he was a, he was a, you know, an apprentice on the island of Teto Like, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I exactly. sure wasn't. But I understand a character who had a difficult mentor, or I understand, you know, like, it's, it, Overexplaining explaining can hurt you because you're like I I don't I don't know what this guy's going through who yeah. who the hell does <laughs> like it's not me.
0: And Mary, you mentioned pet peeves before, mm. but Walt, do you have any pet peeves <laughs> in game
2: stories? Uh, all of them. I don't. Know. <laughs> um, I, don't I don't know. <laughs> a lot. I have a lot of pet peeves. To even try and narrow it down is, I don't know. Flashbacks. <laughs> but uh I flashbacks kind of I I don't like uh yeah flash forwards bug me. Um I one's worse. There, probably fl- I don't fl- flash forwards. Flash forwards are yeah. worse because flash forward and but I hate this in ev- I hate this in books, I hate this in in TVs, I hate this in movies and also, you know, my stuff uh, stuff I've written includes flash f- flash forwards but you know, putting that aside it did it, it, it show for me. I always feel like it shows a very distinct uh, inability to trust uh, your story that everything up until that moment is not interesting enough to carry the viewer or the player to that moment. So you need to jump ahead and show them. Hey, don't worry. Something really cool is going to happen. This <laughs> is it right here. We'll get back to this. If you give us like 20 hours, we're going to get there. Don't worry. It's <laughs> like what? Why just like if everything up to that point is good. I I'm I'm in. Just give me, you know. Just start your story, man. Just let me go. Um, that always that always bugs me. Um, and I yeah, I think uh, Mary earlier you mentioned like that dissonance of when a game has you just like killing everyone, and 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 everyone's like, oh, you're such a good guy. You're such. Yes. a, You are just heroic in every part. Po- that, that I'm just like okay. I'm just going to have to play you and not pay attention to anything you're saying. Right. Um, and, and then we can, we can end this as friends. Um, and that'll be the only way that, that those are like my two kind of biggest pet peeves. Uh, I have designed pet peeves things where it's just like very obvious that a game is padding out its runtime. I'm like, respect my time. I don't, don't respond to all of your enemies halfway through the mission, every mission. It's like, I get it. You just want it to be 20 hours instead of 10 hours, but I got stuff to do. I'm not going to finish this.
0: Also, you make me feel worse about this game.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I. The older I get, the uh, the shorter I love my games. I'm like, they just knew I wanted four hours of gameplay, and I, I'm into that. I'm very into that. I can get through a four hour game, a sixty hour game. I'm like, no, I'm not. No. I'm gonna try, but whew.
2: I'm not a kid anymore.
1: Yeah, I know. Yep. I'll not a kid, to easy. and
2: I have a kid, so it's yeah. like, you got to really find that. Yeah.
0: Um And related to the previous question, Mary, you said that you learned everything you talked about because you used to do it and still yes. slip up sometimes. Yes. So is there anything else that the two of you have learned by faltering or slipping up on something?
1: My whole job. <laughs> 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 yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm also, <laughs> while you were saying you you send a script that's way too long, I do that. Every time, like I, I send off my script and they're like, "Uh, you said that it was going to be a page, and it's like ten pages." I'm like, "I know, <laughs> I'm gonna <Options>. cut it. <laughs> like, it's we're gonna cut it." Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think uh, I like many writers, am an overwriter, and I'm like, you know, I want I, I want I get into circular arguments with my characters sometimes. And I'm like, "Oh, we gotta trim that." Um, that's an issue. Uh, sometimes. Especially on games that aren't AAA, uh, I've trusted that the animation would be able to support big character or emotional terms and they just couldn't because they were, they were lower fidelity. Um, so that's, that's something I had to get better at, um, in writing video games versus like, you know, writing a film or writing TV is sometimes the face can't carry <laughs> this uh. big emotional moment. Sometimes you do need the, the, uh, VO to support it. Um, sometimes you just need to be clearer. Uh, I come from, a print background and I I'm much more of a book reader than I am a person who watches movies or TV. So a big problem I have is, uh, you know, I have that internal monologue for all the characters, um, which is not a visual storytelling (laughs) thing. Uh, so I I've definitely shipped scenes where the internal monologue would have explained everything that's going on, but the VO sure doesn't. (laughs) And, you know, and it, it can get a little, a little confusing. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's fine. And players don't know what they don't know. And, and sometimes I just, I wish I could have taken another stab at it. So getting away from that kind of, uh, internal monologue writing into more visual screenplay and gameplay, uh, writing is something, you know, I work on all the time. And then just try not to overwrite is the, <laughs> is the constant struggle. Just knowing when to trim stuff. Even if it's your baby, just, just cut it out. Just cut the baby.
2: Yes uh i, I want to go back on something you said about the overriding thing because i think this is huh. very different for writing than it is any other discipline whereas i've always kind of viewed writing as a bit like sculpting yeah. except that you have to build your giant block of marble first before you can start chiseling it away into what it's going to be and i feel yeah. like that's why a lot of right you know like with artists game artists especially you know like they're about options i'm going to here's 10 different possible ways that this character can look now let's what do we all like? What's the silhouette we like? How can we mix and match? But with a writer, we have, to, we have to generate just a massive amount of content and be like, okay, now we're going to like really cut this thing down to something that works, to something that's yeah. good. But we need it all there on paper first. We need that giant block of marble before we can even really start working on what the actual script is going to be. Um, you know, I have a lot of you know, times where someone will be like, so what's this thing going to be? And I'm like, I'll know when I start writing it. Because you really you've got to get into the groove. You got to begin feeling the the rhythm of the words coming together to really kind of feel where it's going to go. Um, but that was just falling back on that. I guess to to answer your question, I mean, uh, yeah, everything, the entire job. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're really being true to yourself uh, about what you do and, and how you're uh, how you're working and both on projects and with people, um, then. Hopefully, you're learning every time you make a mistake. You're like, okay, well, I see where it, you learn as much from doing something wrong as from doing something right. Uh, and I know it's said a lot with, uh, with, like, with writing that you can learn just as much from or even more from a bad story than you can from a good story. It's hard to pinpoint why exactly something's good. It's very easy to pinpoint why a bunch of things are bad because they tend to be bad for the same reasons. And so you can very easily pinpoint that and go, okay, I need to not do that. Um, and it's a, it's the same with, I mean, just the, the day-to-day job when, when you mess something up, whether it's a, a personal interaction, uh, the way that you, uh, worded an email too strongly, uh, how you, you held on to, uh, like you said, a baby or a darling that you just mm-hmm. refused to let go. And it got into the game of people are like, I don't understand anything that's happening. Um, <laughs> uh, you just learned like, okay, I made a mistake and I need to not do that okay. next time. I hope you hope that everyone's doing that. Uh, I feel that writers, I feel like we are probably uh, game writers are a bit more trained into doing it because we, like I said earlier, we just are already trained to throw it out and do it again differently. Yeah. So many, so many times, so many ways. Um, yeah. You know, like I, I remember years ago uh, taking screenshots for Bioshock, and Ken Levine, who I hadn't met yet, stopped by at my desk and was like, "Are you the guy taking screenshots?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "They're not working." do it differently it's like well okay man what do you want me to do is like i don't want to i don't like to give too much direction just do it differently <laughs> and he walked huh. away and i was like okay so i did i mean i went back and i just tried to do it a completely different way and the next day he stopped by my desk he's like what did you do this was amazing It's like Well, you just tell me to do it differently man i just tried. i just tried something different i mean i would have kept trying something different if you came back with the same thing like uh, but yeah, it's like you you know we get trained to do that, and you know, constantly try new things. I think that carries over to our ability to learn from our mistakes uh more than necessarily uh other people do, but I have a
0: problem with of direction there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. I don't want to give people direction, but to, to
1: be fair, come on, it, yeah, it's I, like I,
0: you're wasting time.
1: I saw your face and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh this hurts. This, this I'm calling hurts. you out, it Ken out. Levine. If the
2: next day had gone very differently, I might also have had a problem with that direction. Yeah. yeah, Um but it ended up going really well for me. So it's like, that's great direction, Ken. Good job. Uh,
1: <laughs> Well, I think this goes back to finding the note behind the note again, right? Is like we as writers are good at editing stuff and knowing like my 10-page script is going to end up being a page because that's way too long and that sucks and I hate it. But, <laughs> you know, you learn to cut stuff down. But that's why when people are giving you script notes, um, the least helpful notes are, I want you to do this instead of this versus this isn't working. This isn't quite working yet. That like... You know, uh, because we we do have this ability to edit for ourselves um, if we know what their problem is. If we know what their problem is versus if they just give us a solution. We don't know. We don't know what we're trying to fix. We don't know what the problem is. We don't know. You know, there's just not enough information. Yeah. Still shaking your head. (laughs)
0: Ken that was like the example of bad feedback. I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't like it. Do
2: something different. Yeah.
1: But I'm sure Ken is. I'm sure Ken is. <laughs> I'm sure he's
2: really tired of me telling that story, but I love it. I tell that story all the time. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I just love it so much. Yeah. Well, he
0: deserves it for giving you that feedback. So yeah. he'll take that.
1: <laughs>
0: I'd also say that taking off your creative hat and putting on your business hat, because we all have worked freelance, mm. working freelance forced you to learn very quickly about being taken advantage of and just learning contracts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like. Okay, now we should definitely, contracts, lay out drafts and not just have a blanket like, oh, you're just going to, this is for all the work. You're not going to be paid for every separate draft you do and yeah. don't, don't do lump payments.
1: No, I, yeah, l- the lump payments one was last night learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I always, I always <laughs> shoot
2: for hourly or, or weekly or monthly. I'm like, if you can, if you can pay me enough to, to pay all my bills and then some for a month, then okay, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do in a month and when yeah. that month is up if you want more well you're gonna have to do another month but that i also to be i live somewhere uh relatively cheap and easy to live so it's a little easier to to do that as well but i found that that works better than trying to do lump sums because yeah with lump sums you're just like what are you trying to get out of me right now i remember doing a contract work one time for and some the guy was like we really want you, we're, We can you give us an idea that will be like the next harry potter or the next Matrix. I'm like, uh, you're paying me $65 an hour. If I can come up with the next Harry Potter, I'm not giving it to you, man. Like, yeah. Uh, if you're going to do love sums, they get paid money up front,
0: like half of yeah. it up front.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: There's a whole other podcast where they could talk about <laughs> the business side.
1: Business practices for freelancers. Don't get fucked. Like, don't take my advice. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Just bring a bunch of lawyers on. <laughs>
2: Speaking of contracts real fast, if you are listening and you are getting into freelancing, the thing that I always recommend, make sure that your contract has a stipulation where they have to pay you within a certain number of days after they get your invoice, usually about 12 to 15. Uh, oh, 12 to 15 is quick. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, that's so important, though. I have I have friends who did writing uh, and design for, for games two years ago who have still not been paid, and they're like, I don't have any legal recourse, <laughs> apparently, but I kind of it's 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 a mess. And luckily, like, I've worked with people who who were pretty quick, especially when I sent a follow-up email, you know, five days later and said, hey, you definitely have my invoice. What's up? They usually, you know, get nervous and pay. But, yeah, it is a problem. And, and yeah, that stipulation is really, really important <laughs> for sure.
0: It's Agreed. sad that's more common that you get paid late than on time. No, getting paid early never happens.
1: Uh, I think I've been paid early once and I was shocked. I just like stared at my bank account like I don't know. This like, is a mistake you paid is.
0: someone else you must pay someone else's money to yeah, my like, bank <laughs> account. <laughs> like,
1: is this an error? Are you sure?
0: <laughs> so decide I'm curious about this. Decider put out an article this week about machinima and how when streaming platforms die, what happens to their shows is often an open question with most of them just vanishing. So since we all have freelanced, in the next ten years there's possibility that we'll all be streaming more of our games or over physically owning them with the games industry, not being great at preservation already. Do you see this as a problem moving forward? And as an example, like you could freelance, like a contract job on a game that you work on and then it comes out within a year, it's just gone. So you can't even use it on like as an example for future work. Are you worried about this?
1: Yep. Because it happened. Uh, When telltale closed, a bunch of their titles were pulled off every platform and people lost all their work. And I mean, it's just gone it's just it's never it's never coming back so yeah the, the short answer is yes definitely worried about it also um a little bit tied to that is how many games are canceled where you've spent you know especially if the life cycle of a triple a game is anywhere between three and seven years you say i have six years industry experience but my project was canceled so i got diddly squat i can i can show you that's that sucks too. And uh I, I don't know what to do about the latter. I know with the former, um I've been pretty vocal about, you know, I need I need to be able to pull my scripts. I need to be able to have scripts that I can show people once a game is published. And that's helped a lot, um, because even if the game is no longer available, at least I still have my scripts and um you know that was really important when Telltale was closing was like, you know, we don't know if these we don't we don't know what's going to happen to these episodes until skybound picked it up. Um, so it was, I got to pull all of these scripts immediately. Otherwise I have no writing samples and, uh, you know, so do everything you can to protect yourself and get your scripts and let the people you're working with know that you're going to be putting those in your portfolio and get it and in your contract. What?
0: Get that in your contract. Yes. And you yes. Take it.
1: If you're a freelancer, absolutely getting your contract that you need to be able to publish your scripts because yeah, I mean, you need, you need work to show people, and if if their game is pulled someday or you know or does it come out or just never comes out that's that's yeah, it sucks.
2: Yeah, cancelled games are the worst. I have so much work that's just gone that I can't use. and the in things that come up in interviews people are people like, oh well for this I mean this is gonna be a very open world thing and you don't really have any open world experience. It's like actually, I have years <laughs> of open world experience, and none of them. Made it to ship, so yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know because none of it got shipped. But trust me, I've been doing. I've been doing this for a while. I can. I can. I can do this job. I just can't show you any of it because it's all contracted under NDA. But it's there, I promise. Um, I'm less with the with the the games vanishing. Uh, That bugs me less because uh, being known for a couple of games specifically, like I've noticed that when I do interviews. A lot of the people they know, oh, you wrote this thing. I heard this thing was good. They haven't actually played it though. They (laughs) just, someone told them it was good and they should check it out. So it it's kind of like if it's if it were to suddenly vanish tomorrow, it's like, okay, I mean, well, you probably weren't gonna play it anyway. Um I and I also I mean, that's just, you know, normal writer um lack of uh confidence. it's like, oh wait, people actually play anything we've written? That's wild. Uh, I already kind <laughs> of assume that no one has played it anything that I've or read anything that I've written. Yes. And I'm always very pleased. It's like, oh you did. Oh you and my mom will have so much to talk about. Um <laughs> Even though it's
0: like, well, you didn't play all of it. You only play like five minutes of it. Yeah. You only saw exactly. the, the good parts. I read exactly. your book
1: while well, I just want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: really sweet. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> okay.
2: Um so yeah, I mean, I kinda I feel like there's there's something interesting about games in that they are becoming less tangible and that they will vanish more quickly. Um, but I don't know if we're necessarily going to play into that, uh, as a medium, but I think it, it makes the medium interesting. Uh, if, if we're really, if we're really pouring our all into these games and these stories and the experiences and making something that is truly, um, I don't want to say unique, but like emotionally real, like, I think then it becomes very interesting that, that they can sometimes only exist for a short period of time. When that when it falls into more just like general mass entertainment thing, it's like okay, well it came, it went, it's gone, it's fine. Um, that's a little nihilistic and pessimistic, but <laughs> I don't know. I am a little... I am a little nihilist in pessimistic, sorry. Uh, it's just... I don't know. Uh, I live in the middle of nowhere in Louisiana. It's just kind of a thing. Um, it's all so. nihilist there. Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, you... I mean, when we moved... We moved back here from San Francisco, and, like, our first place was, like, between a bayou and an abandoned railroad track in a field. And it's like... Okay, cool. It's a good emotional setup for the next couple of years. <laughs> I, remember, I remember everyone was getting really into Pokemon Go, and I was like, "I'll check it out. I'll download it." I was like, "All right, I'm in the middle of a field between a bayou and a railroad track. There's no Pokemon here. Not for me." Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that uh, that very. Uh, what's the? Uh, I'm, it's Saturday. What's the opposite of urban?
1: <laughs> rural. That's rural. the rural. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, earlier mustache guy you know baseball cap
1: <laughs> mustache guy is rural <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so each episode we
0: have our guests ask questions for our next episode's guests our last episode was uh, Heli Saloma and Claire Hummel Heli want to know what game project would you like to have been part of and would you have done something differently
1: so I would say I, I already brought up Hellblade. I'm going to do it again. Uh, I'd love to be part of Hellblade. I would have loved to be part of, uh, what remains of Edith Finch. Uh, my, the boring part of that answer is, would I have done anything differently? No, because they're perfect. But <laughs> I, I love those two games because again, like the mechanics and the environmental storytelling, the puzzles and the obstacles, um, tie so well into theme and character. And I would have loved to just be in that room soaking in all of like what these people had figured out about how to design a game that is a full experience that's really integrated like that i would have loved to learn from those devs so uh it's a selfish answer i would have loved to be part of it just so i could learn from it um there's nothing i would have changed they were both absolutely wonderful um but yeah that's those are my two (laughs)
2: um also i have two uh the first uh and it feels weird saying it because of where you work, Mary, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Spider Man, <gasps> because
1: I've heard of that game. <laughs> because
2: one, it's amazing. Two, uh, it, it's it. Spider Man was the character I just loved so much growing up, uh, and this is it was exactly the game that I wanted it to be. And so, and 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 like you wouldn't have changed the only thing i would have changed is that i would have been one of the people writing it that's the only thing i would have <laughs> changed. uh just like it's a character it, everything about it embodied uh the character all of the characters and the world in such a way that like it i just i loved it I, I just loved it and would have loved to have uh to been able to to contribute and be a part of that in some way because i love and i loved all without getting into spoilers uh <laughs> like how it's set up uh, for future games, uh, that are real, that can really break outside of like the established status quo of what certain characters fit certain roles, blah, or living, dead, whatever. Uh, just everything about it. I loved it so much. Um,
1: well, it's, it's so funny you say that because I, I love that game. Uh, it came out before I started Insomniac and I, I finished it. And then I had my phone interview with John Paquette two days later and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm such a fan. Oh, I'm going to nerd out. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, and then, you know, starting there, I'm like, this is Brian Interhart, who's the creative director. I'm like, Hi, I'm normal. I'm worthy of being here because <laughs> I too loved it. Um, it's yeah, they did such a great job on it.
2: Yeah. It was it was at my favorite game that I played last year. That was last year, right? It wasn't this yeah. year. It was last, it year. Was last it was year. year. It was last okay. year.
1: Fuck. It was my favorite game from last year, too. <laughs>
2: Um, and the other one, uh, night in the woods, um, mm. which came out right as I, so I moved back to my hometown. That's where I live now, uh, is my hometown. I'm like five minutes away from the, my childhood house where my parents still live. And that came out like maybe six months after I moved back. And, uh, I moved back because my parents are getting older. Uh, my dad just turned 85, you know, they're in that we're kind of in that twilight time of life. Uh, we just had a kid. I wanted them to be able to 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 know their granddaughter, be around their granddaughter as much as they want. But also, I've spent twenty years or so away from my family. I wanted to spend. I didn't want to like wake up one day in San Francisco and be like, "Oh yeah, you know," I just didn't spend those years with my family, and they're gone. I was like, I want to be there. Uh but I, I've I've in a lot of ways, I felt like I've moved back home just in time to kind of watch it all die. You know, family members, all of the places around the town that that were important to me that I remember are vanishing or shutting down even like my high school which is still here in the exact same place they're tearing it down one wing at a time and rebuilding that wing so even like the place i went to school is not the place i went to school even though it has the exact same structure in the exact same spot so when that game came out, it was just like, this game is my soul right now. This is Everything about this is just like the part where they go to the mall and it's just a dead mall. And my mall here is a dead mall. And I still go, like I go there on days where I need a good cry. Because like that mall was so important to me when I was younger. My first job was there and all of these great memories are wrapped up in, in, in stuff going there with friends and family. And all that stuff's gone. It's just a dead empty mall and I'll walk through it and I'll come home depressed my wife's like you go to the fucking mall again? I was like I just needed it today I needed like a release I just needed to cry so yeah I walked an empty mall I'm sorry also empty malls are cool I just like empty malls that's a whole other thing with my the therapist the
1: reason so many zombie movies are because
2: they're <laughs> awesome <laughs> I get it. they are they're great um, and uh, you can have that kind of
0: reaction to that mall because they didn't spend all the time giving you the backstory of why that mall fell in disrepair and like all different stores over. yeah
1: <laughs>
2: and so like i i i don't know that i would have done necessarily anything different on night in the woods but the just that it was it was such a personal story that was mirroring my life at the exact moment that it came out working on it would have been such an amazingly cathartic uh way of digesting what i was going through and and playing it also was as well but it was just one of those things where like it it's a it's a story and a game that has resonated with me uh since i played it uh it was it's one of my favorite games that i've ever played i thought it was absolutely beautiful um has some of my favorite writing in it as well um so those would maybe be my two i think i would have also said
0: spider-man and (laughs) me too i would do something differently and I'll only say it because I told John Paquette and he didn't like punch me when I suggested it. But if I something different, like we just had Spider-Man where you're swinging, just have like one thing of him whooping like a maniac about like because he's so stoked about being spider-man and <laughs> swinging that's one thing i would have added and done differently that's I,
1: it i don't know that this is um i'm just making this up i bet you somewhere on some file yuri lowenthal absolutely did that i would I be very surprised is. if yeah. he did not it. <laughs> it should have been
2: put in the game that's what i've done differently i've got i have to tell one spider-man story because i love my my daughter who's three now loves watching me play uh but when she wants to p- She doesn't want me to fight or she doesn't even really want me to swing around. Her two things that she wants me to do. She wants me to change clothes constantly. Like, (laughs) put on this one. Put on this one. And then she just wants me to find swimming pools and make Spider-Man go swimming. (laughs) Um, That's and like, she's like, okay, go swim somewhere else. Go swim somewhere else. Go to the park and go swimming. She just wants, she wants him. Okay, now put on the underwear. Okay, now be a skeleton. Now go swimming again. <laughs> That's all she wants. And and then like the two moments, and I've, I've actually told this to John because uh, we were watching, she she saw him the first time I think she saw me play. She saw the scene where he eats the pizza yeah. uh, on the roof. And uh, later that day I went the living room and she had climbed onto the back of the couch and was like sitting with her back to me with her with her feet hanging off the couch, and she was like, she had her hands in her lap, like she was holding a book, but she didn't have anything in her hands. I go, honey, what are you doing? She goes, I am Spider Man eating pizza. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my god, I love you. You're the most amazing thing in the world. Oh, the children are amazing. Uh, and then and then she was watching me play like the next day, and she was like, okay, now make Spider Man get some cake. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, babe, oh no! You think you can just?" eat? And I, I've told John, I was like, "My daughter would really like in the next Spider-Man game if he has the option to get some cake." So, like, if you can make that happen, really, need she a cake would love it. Please. Yeah, just, there just needs to be cake uh, for for Spider-Man to get, and you're gonna have a fan for life, I promise. And more uh, in-depth yeah. swimming mechanics. <laughs> yeah, swimming is yeah. So long as you can keep going swimming, she's. Oh
1: my god. <laughs> I I remember from playing the game, he doesn't swim. He just kind of, he's confused. Yeah, he kind of (laughs)
2: bobs in the water, but she loves it. She loves it so much. So
0: so the last episode was around wardrobe design. And Claire Hummel asked, how important is costume design to your storytelling process?
1: Well, it's more important now that I've listened to this episode of Scrooge Black. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it's so important because the way that, uh people perceive a character is is so much tied into their costume design. And, you know, on the one hand, you want to be as collaborative as possible, and on the other, you don't want to tell other people how to do their job. So I'm not gonna like roll into the character department and be like, listen guys, she would never wear purple. Like, you know, I'm I'm not, you know. But at the same time, VO and voiceover actual performance is only going to tell you so much about a character. There's, there's so much more that comes in. How do they dress and why? Is it utilitarian? Is it, is, is it flashy? Why? Like in what way? That's, that ties so much into personality. And, you know, I, I, in my experience, just working with character artists on, on how to make certain aspects of their personality shine through in their, in their costume design is really, really important. And again, like not being prescriptive, not rolling in like, Hey, they have to wear this kind of boot. I'm very into it, but, but being more like, Hey, this is a character who is pragmatic and does not care. And, wears mismatched socks, probably. I don't know, whatever. But And then they come up with something brilliant, because that's their job. So so it is a really important part, and it's something um I've gotten to participate in definitely in walking out the final season. All of the costumes had to be weathered, but we also wanted to show off personality, so we worked really closely with, you know, is this character more utilitarian? Is this character trying to cling to the past? Is this character you know, like, what are these different character traits that can come through in the clothes they're wearing? And you know, that's how we all judge each other in real life too. Sorry. But, yeah. <laughs> but but it is a big part, you know, and that's for me I wear plaid four days of the week, but like, um it is a big part of how we how we perceive each other is is how we dress. And um I think that's a big part of character as well and part of our job. So.
2: I think that's all true. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um it is not a part of my process at all for me personally. But now here's I'm a pragmatic dresser in that like pretty much every single day I am going to have a black um, t-shirt, some kind of dark colored jeans and um, some kind of black shoe Um, because I don't, I don't think about what I wear that often. And I, and I don't want to think about what I have to wear. Um, I I don't like thinking about necessarily like how uh, what I'm going to put on might uh, look to someone else. So I kind of have over the years just settled into, uh, a very basic kind of uh, minimalist black ensemble, just so that I don't have to think or worry about it. So when I'm creating a character and I'm writing a script, if there's not already something there, I'll go into and and to be fair, a lot, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I've worked on tends to be in the military, semi military genre. So a lot of stuff is kind of already defined simply by the genre. Right. Um, but I I'll, so I'll go into like the quality of of what they're wearing is this a person who is uh very detail oriented very fastidious uh about about their clothing is this someone who's going to let it kind of uh, wrinkle or fall apart or get dirty and not really worry about it that's the and, and, then, and then outside of that just let the artist kind of run with it uh and, and see what they come back with um and sometimes i oh, sometimes i won't even see a character model until a game ships and then I'm like, oh, man, that's amazing what you did. There. Like with Battlefront 2 uh, in the in the uh, the DLC, which was originally the third act, but ended up getting shipped a month later. So a lot of people didn't play it. Um, the Your main character's daughter uh, is wearing uh, her father's jacket that he wore in Act 2. And uh, and that's not something we wrote in the script, but something an artist came up with. I was like, man, that's perfect. It's perfect. Mm-hmm she would totally be wearing her dad's jacket that says so much about like this family unit especially because he's not physically in the story spoiler because he's dead at that point um, no. <laughs> um, but like yeah like it's, uh, it's just a small thing like it kept him physically present but also showed that like just because he's not there like this wasn't like a broken family like this is they were their happy family like she had his jacket and she thinks it's cool to wear her dad's jacket and it is to be fair the artist made a cool jacket I would wear that jacket great job guys but like like it, it certainly didn't come from me and it's a lot of it's just because it's not how my mind works i don't think in terms of of style in that way um uh so i kind for me i just kind of let artists run with it and sometimes you know i'll get the stuff that they do before i've even created a character and, and like you were saying like okay well the way what this person wears is telling me a lot and i can build off of this um, but like if we're working, you know, in tandem, going back and forth with stuff, um, I just let them run with it. And unless it, you know, if it's something totally off the rails, like, uh, you know, they're just dressed in some kind of like wild, crazy rainbow outfit thing. I'm like, <laughs> eh, guys, this person's a little on the dark, uh, stoic side. I don't know that you're really channeling <laughs> that personality trait, uh, in that they look a bit like a clown. Um, maybe we could find a middle ground there. Mm. Um, so but that's me and i and and i freely admit i'm probably wrong in in <laughs> in in how i approach that uh, but it's worked so far and the artists tend to like me because i don't come up with <laughs> feedback for them. Uh, yeah. i bet no that
1: goes that goes back to everybody's a storyteller and i mean it is some of the surprises are the best things i've seen in games so i wrote a character in walking dead named violet and uh I saw it was before we had her combat animations in, but she had her costume and she had what looked like to me and some character are smart is about to like wince, but uh, it looked like a pool noodle wrapped around her leg, <laughs> like she had just like cut it in half and wrapped it around her her left ankle, and I was like, why? <laughs> I don't, like this isn't fashionable. Why is this happening? And they're like, oh, that's her kicking leg, and I was like why? Like, I'm still not understanding what they mean. And so people very patiently, like, brought me over to the animators, and they're like, well, this is how it's going to be. She's going to use her cleaver. She uses the cleaver on a walker, and then she will kick the zombie off of her cleaver with that leg. So she's wrapped her leg so they can't bite it. And I'm like, she's so cool! (laughs) and, And it all ties into her character, and it was a total surprise, and it's just... You know, they, they, at that point, they understood the character that I, that me and the other writers were making and they, they just ran with it and it was so, so great and the animators got it and the character artists got it and it all made sense when it works together. But if I'm just looking at the model, I'm like, why is she wearing a pool? (laughs) I don't don't understand. Well,
2: it's her kicking leg.
1: (laughs) It's her kicking leg. You know, her kicking leg. I'm like, what?
2: (laughs) That is such an amazing response. (laughs) That's great. It's her kicking leg.
1: (laughs) You know, her kicking leg. I also got, uh, there was another character uh who has my haircut because they like um uh, i had to sit in front of the character artist so she could like figure out how all the hair would work she's like hey i really like how half your head is shaved so what if it was a character <laughs> and i was like all right she's a villain great i'm into it <laughs> like, it was good so. awesome
0: um our last question then is what's a storytelling related question you would like our next guest to answer oh
2: gosh i don't know I don't want Walt to go first. <laughs> I, I, genu- I, I was gonna ask if I could email you something later. When I thought <laughs> of something, um, you can do that too. I can just, I, I can edit this question, this thing out, and we'll just have it on for the next one. I feel like I actually had something a minute ago, and then we started talking about something, and I lost it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which one's the kick? And like, no, that's not. My question.
2: Uh... <laughs> okay, actually, I, I remember what mine was, and I, I'd love to actually also uh, hear your opinion on this, Mary. Isn't it time that writing was called out as like? an award category for games
1: yep <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, like it where and any i mean it, it always it get i get it we're all storytellers everything's a narrative blah 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 but writing is a very specific craft mm. and so much of our job is taking sometimes good design sometimes nonsense and putting it in words that uh can both dramatize and present character and also educate like it is it's a craft that goes even beyond above and beyond simple writing but it's like a craft that has to fully embody what everyone else is doing and getting it across to a player in probably two sentences or less every single time and like if you go to the uh, interactive academy of arts and sciences and try to sign up as a member they don't even lift, list writing as an area of expertise Mm. We're just c- a completely non-existent uh, design discipline and craft in this industry.
1: And I'd say, I mean, there is a difference between like best writing versus best even best story or best. It's like why, why did the Oscars separate out best screenplay and best yeah. film? You know, there there is there, Yeah, it is its own discipline. So
0: also, writing means. Way more
2: things in games than it doesn't film.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, a potentially. There's pretty wide, wide breadth. <laughs> yeah. of there is,
2: it is. It's absolutely a wide breadth. Um, I feel like this year, you know, uh, last night, you know, the other night with the Video Game Awards, like Disco Elysium won Best Narrative. If we'd had a Best Writing category, probably should have won that too because the writing is phenomenal. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 But, you know, that and, and most of the time, the games that win Best Narrative do tend to have genuinely exception, the exceptional writing of the year. Uh, and the the nominees tend to have the best writing uh, a lot of times but I don't know I just feel like from a standpoint of like our discipline being truly recognized as a craft within the industry having it separated from the full scope of just what narrative is I don't know that's my feeling and and that's that's this is something that's come up to me like in the past few days talking to some people and it's just (laughs) like and I, and I was reminded of when I tra- I went to uh, become a member of the uh, the academy I was like oh yeah I'm not even my skill set's not even on here that's that's wonderful it's
0: hard to get recognized as an industry when like even studios have a hard time recognizing the importance of writers.
2: Absolutely. What's a
1: writer versus a narrative designer versus a, versus a designer and a narrative? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: well and I think th- I, I think that's that is a problem. I think that is the problem is that as an industry we still don't as much as we recognize that writing is important and studios are beginning to like really recognize that and, inter- and integrate it. I've noticed that it kind of comes down to studios where the creative director kind of self-identifies as a writer uh, yeah. in certain ways versus a creative director who sees himself as a designer. Yeah. Um, is what kinds, tends to be the line of like whether or not that studio is going to bring writing in at an earlier stage and whether or not they're going to listen to it. But yeah, I, it's... And I know there's other topics that we say we're not going to talk about today, but I feel like it connects to that as well. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of topics we could talk about. With yeah. this.
1: <laughs> My question is, what do you see as the role of writers in early and pre-production? And... Kind of connected to that is writing is such an upstream department and yet we all accept that good writing is rewriting. So uh, how do you work with your teams both to understand that and to accept that if you want this to be great, you know, like as an upstream department, we're affecting everybody else anytime we change anything. So how do you how do you mitigate that? How do you work within that? What what are some tips and tricks you have uh, for for surviving the re- <laughs> the rewriting process, with all the other teams looking at you like, why? As they're
0: tapping their watches.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: That's a great question.
0: <laughs> We'd have more creative directors on this thing to ask that question. <laughs>
2: do you know what <laughs> i do, uh, I was gonna say you know what i do for that and and i've worked mm-hmm. with teams that this drives me crazy but i just do it anyway is that i always i try to write a first draft disconnected from the rest of the team as quickly as possible and i mm-hmm. do it in i do it in word i don't do it in any engine tool i don't do yeah. it on anything on perforce and i just don't let other people have it because once it's in there they're like well wait, wait, wait hold up you why are you changing lines that are checked in or blah blah blah. it's like yeah i can i can rewrite as much as i want when it's just a word doc on my own computer and i can get it to like a point where i feel happy with it before ever even letting other people know about it because i think we were talking earlier about you know how much we throw stuff out like that like we are also i I, i'm comfortable throwing stuff out even if i've written a whole draft because it's like Mm -hmm. we're the easiest asset to create and the cheapest and uh and um you know, if, if we're in the rhythm and we've been working on it for a long time, it can also go very, very fast. Cause we already know a lot of these characters. We know the beats, you know, we can, we can rewrite fairly quickly if we're deep into the process sometimes. Um, and that's, but you know, I've worked, you know, some teams are like, why are, why is this not in, in this program or in this program yet? And it's like, Oh, I know guys, we're going to get there. And eventually when I have to put it in there, I'm like, man, this would have been so many steps less if I had just written it here in the first place. But mm-hmm. also then I wouldn't be inputting draft 27. I would be inputting draft three. Yeah. Uh, and and then be like, well, I guess hopefully we'll have time to fix this later. Hopefully we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's putting that, uh, that puts extra work on myself. But it's just that's the only way I don't go crazy. And that's just yeah. my personal way. Definitely not wouldn't recommend it for everyone.
0: <laughs> Max and I do a version of that where we will get hired on projects and then they'll have They'll set up like a Google Doc or a Google Sheet for us to go, like, hey, you put your work in here. And then we'll go, okay, sure. And then we create our own Google Doc or Google Sheet. To like, okay, here's where we actually do our real work. And like, <laughs> when we're done with this stuff, then we put it in that doc. Then you put it yeah. in there. Because we, we can't let them see – you know, like, they're good people. We can't let them see <laughs> the ideas where we're working stuff out because they might get the wrong impression.
1: Well, I'm, fr- I'm like, they might – think this is good and i know it's not good yet (laughs) oh no yeah no that's definitely how i approached uh, writing tests you know while i was interviewing for jobs was like write the first draft as fast as possible like None of my writing tests gave me a deadline. I don't know if that's the thing now, but nobody does. It's bad. Uh, they're just like, uh, get it in at some point. And I'm like, oh,
0: okay. Are you, are you paying me for this writing test there? Mm, there's no, no deadline? Never.
1: But, uh, <laughs> but they're like, you know, get it in, uh, at some point. So I would always give myself a week and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write it on day one and then I'm going to not look at it for three days <laughs> and then, and then edit the hell out of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's my big fear is if I show a draft too early that someone will think accidentally think it's good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It will ruin the rest of the game. Don't <laughs> like let me edit it first. So.
0: But those ranked as no deadline is, are the worst because it's like, what are you expecting with no deadline? I like, expect me to take a lot of work on this and be really thought out. But then... If you expect to be turning really fast, then, like, if I do too much work, then that's also bad.
1: Right, right, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's harder with freelancing than with, like, writing tests uh, to get jobs. I'm just like, I'm going to polish it as much as I can because I want this job. But, like, when you're contracting and and you don't have a deadline, it's just like, uh, do other – I mean, other departments do need this, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a –
2: i'm going to change my question because i I also have strong opinions about this but like the question i would ask is what kind of writing test do you feel would actually best represent your skills to a prospective uh job or studio that's a really good question
0: that's a
2: good question dialogue do do, do you uh like a little bit of everything
0: i think
1: yeah, so, I feel like you'd have to do some of the monotonous stuff, like many texts and objectives. and
2: So you know, here's my thing. I, I feel like what it, what you're actually writing is less important than whether or not the test has a round of feedback and then a sure. second draft. I yeah. think that's the, re- that's the real test of whether or not a writer on a game is good. Can they take feedback well and integrate it and, uh, and address it in their draft? And most writing tests don't do that. I did have, it's rare we get feedback on writing tests. And then
0: I, I got feedback on one for like a AAA studio. And they said, they gave me feedback, were like, they didn't like how I did this because they didn't think I was following the rules correctly, which I, I could disagree with, but I'm not going <laughs> to here. But then they let me rewrite. They said, like, that's why we're not choosing you.
1: Oh, that's not helpful. No, that's mm. not. But at least they gave feedback. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> No, yeah, that that's the, uh, there were, I was taking three AAA writing tests at the same time last year and all three of them did that actually where they gave feedback and they're like, okay, now what? Like, now what do you do with it? Yeah, you have another week. Now what happens? That's and- great. And I thought that was so useful because I was like, hell, yeah, I can take feedback. I'm, oh, <laughs> I'm the best. But sounds uh, so nice. But there were many studios that I tested with that, yeah, I never heard from them again. Or they, they you know, said something like, oh, well, you know, you weren't funny enough. And I'm like, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> if you're a studio,
0: and especially for AAA, if you're going to give a test and not pay for it, you have to give feedback. Please. You have to get feedback. If you're going to not, if you're going to be a bad studio, and not pay for it.
1: Well, and I, I just think it's more useful to you because yeah. you know that's that's what we're gonna to have to do for you guys. And if you hire a writer who you're like, wow, this this is prose, it's beautiful, but then you hire them and they can't take notes. Uh, yeah. they're, that's woo, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> like that, they can't. That's
2: they like can't worse than being project. a bad writer.
1: Yeah, 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 totally.
0: Thank you for that good question, Walt.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I liked liked it much better than my first one. My first one was, I guess, more an excuse for me to rant about something else. But yeah, this one's good. (laughs) I know,
1: it's still good. I liked it both. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So now we're at the end. If either of you have anything you want to plug, like social media or whatever, do so right now.
1: Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm a a disaster on Twitter, but you can follow me there. Um, It's at Mary Kay News. I was a journalist. It made sense back then, but oh, I got that's the blue- what it
0: means. I thought it was Mary News.
1: No, I know, I know. It's like oh, it's a pun, and I'm like, yeah, that's intentional. No, <laughs> uh, but no, it's Mary Kay News because I used to be a journalist, and I am unwilling to give up my blue check mark <laughs> and change it. <laughs> oh, that so sucks. You may follow me there if you want to.
0: <laughs> Are any of your comics coming out soon?
1: For IDW, uh, read only memories number one, uh, is out in December. I have a short story in there. It was so much fun to work on. I love the people at IDW and it's the first time, uh, comics have expanded on this universe. So it's, if you've read, or if you've played the game, uh, now you can read more about the world. It's really cool and I like it a lot. And it's a very small world of video games because the, voice of clementine and walking dead was the voice of the character i wrote about in read only oh, right. memories <laughs> and i was like why are there only 15 people in this industry but <laughs> it's very cool very proud of it go check it out from idw uh
2: i'm at walt d williams on twitter and uh i think on instagram i have to actually look up my name i don't remember what my stuff is uh, i think i'm probably underscore walt williams on instagram uh, spoiler we'll it find actually, it it is actually me um, I have a bunch to plug but nothing that's been announced yet so follow me on Twitter and you'll find out about it when I can actually talk about it um,
1: and I'm can, like I can't talk about it any games ever so
2: uh, <laughs> they can check out your book yeah you can check it. that's right you can check out my book Significant Zero available uh, where fine books are sold also an <laughs> ebook and audiobook um, you can totally do that and uh, there's other books coming Ooh. Uh, as well but I can't books talk. plural uh, well yeah I mean look I'm a writer I'm gonna <laughs> write as much as I can possibly get out there uh, mm-hmm.
0: as much as I can awesome it's the end of the year so we could probably plug our stuff uh, played Neo we worked we wrote and edited on that and also played Man of Medan. we wrote a bunch of stuff in the third act those are both cool we probably talk about fucking games we worked on that came out <laughs> this year <laughs> And then next year, she'll have more big stuff too. Yeah. So, play all the stuff we just talked about yeah. or read it. Um, and our music was done by Isabella Ness, and our art was done by Lily Nishida. And that's it. Thank you both for coming on. This is amazing. Thank you, well, thank you so for having much
2: fun. us. Yeah.